talking about money so cringe, but I really want to lay all the cards out on the table with my partner so we can plan for our future together. How do I have an honest conversation about finance? When I grew up, my family didn't have much money, and so I still feel pretty nervous about it, and the idea of talking to the bank scares me. I want to think about saving for my future and potentially having a family. How can I feel more confident about taking control of my finances? Ah, money and relationships. As women, we have to balance so much, right? Our own relationship with money and also our financial relationships with our partners, families, friends and employers. But since that stuff isn't really taught in schools, how do we navigate a healthy relationship with personal finance while also keeping our relationships healthy? Kia ora e te whanau. I'm Michelle Acourt. Welcome back to Power, Money, Security, the podcast redefining PMS for financially free females. Brought to you by The Table, where Kiwi women talk money, sponsored by Mercer. Over five episodes, I'm getting to the bottom of how women can become financially free, why we haven't been before and what we can do about it. We'll be talking with real people and offering real world advice. None of that unrelatable financial jargon loaded hoo There's a great saying that every dollar you spend is a vote for the kind of world you want to live in. Well, through this podcast, we want the women of Aotearoa to have some more votes so we can start building that world. Today, we're going to do this by airing out some taboos to do with relationships and money. Last time we covered KiwiSaver, and I really advise you to go back and listen to that episode if you haven't yet. It could really save you some heartache in the future. But right now, let's get cracking with our third episode, Money and Relationships, and the simple things that you can do in the next week to improve how you not only talk about finance, but how you relate to it. Power Money Security is brought to you by The Table, where Kiwi women talk money, sponsored by Mercer. See seatatthetable.co.nz for more info and in-depth tools to educate and empower women to get ahead in financial matters. When I was a kid, I was taught that nice people didn't talk about money. It was a secret, never to be discussed. Then as I grew up, I became a socialist and I was a creative worker and money was a little bit dirty and wrong. And making money wasn't a valid goal. Getting rich was what shallow people wanted. Then as a single parent, money was something I just didn't have enough of. Now, it's my sexy friend. I really like getting paid properly for the work that I do and I like the choices money gives me. Now, we've talked about this before on the show, but one reason so many women have been put at a disadvantage when it comes to money is because we have traditionally been kept out of money conversations and decision making. But come on, ladies, we know we're really smart. We know we're really capable. So whether we're flying solo or in a relationship, have kids or are child free, whether we're working, retired, underemployed or unemployed, we could all benefit from solid advice on how to better relate to our personal finances and how to manage them in relationships. On the next episode of Power Money Security, we'll be exploring investment and how to grow your wealth and investing, how to be your own savvy cutthroat investor, except totally not like that, because instead of learning to pump and dump, we're going to learn to care and share while talking about ethical investing. But first... On today's show, getting it on, money and relationships. We're going to put you on the right path with real, tangible things we can do. 
A new report from the New Zealand Institute of Economic Research shows that women picked up a significant portion of the lockdown burden, not only working from home, but managing all their childcare and education there too. More than 50% of men said homeschooling was done mostly by their partners. Another 10% said it was done solely by a partner. Two key issues really come out of the research as critical concerns, particularly for women, and that is work-life balance and work-life separation. So how does that translate into financial conversations and inequality with your home relationships? I don't have the answers, but I have plenty of questions. So today's fantastic guests will help put us all on the path to a better future by looking at our relationship with money. We're also very grateful to have our financial fairy godmother, Glennis Wilson, who is head of the financial advice team at Mercer. We're going to check in with her throughout. I'm so excited about today's topic because women are so often left out of the financial conversation altogether. So I'm really happy to be talking to you today about this. Empowering women with the knowledge to take control of their finances is really important work for me. As well as Glennis, we have two other fantastic guests today to help us see what we can do to improve our own ability to discuss money within relationships and hopefully then also smooth the way to improve our own relationships with money. So let's meet the guests. Angela Meyer lives at the corner of Feminist Street and Finance Alley. She's the co-creator of the Ace Lady Network and Double Denim, and most recently, the Gender Justice Collective. Angela lives and breathes gender equality and social change. She's worked in a number of senior marketing and communications roles around the world and is passionate about the untapped potential of women's economic power. No my Heidi my Angela. And also joining us is the brilliant Sarah Whitelock, who is the head of consumer wealth at Mercer, who are on a mission to prioritise financial well-being for women in Aotearoa. She's also a mother and is passionate about supporting women and their families to find financial freedom. Sarah knows her way around the sociological quandaries we'll be discussing today, and we're thrilled to have her here. Kia ora, Sarah. Kia ora, Michelle. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And straight into sharing time, I've told you a bit about my relationship to money. I know that things I talked about are pretty common, yeah? What started you on your money journey, Angela? Uh, for me, money growing up was a lot of stress, a lot of stress. Uh, it's sort of, for a long time, debt equaled death in my life. So I have had a long and torturous journey with money. And like you, have worked in the creative sector, so I sort of you know, sort of felt that it was kind of selling out if you made money. But again, I am all about the cash, cash, money, money now. What made you change? Actually, it was when my father died and that was a pretty horrific experience and he died owing quite a lot of money and I had to kind of dig into it and understand it all. And my last conversation with him was about money and I was really sad that that was the case. So I thought I need to really educate myself like no one else is going to teach me and I kept expecting that, you know, somehow I was going to like learn this magical money stuff. What do you think defined your relationship with money, Sarah? I distinctly remember as a child, and some of you may remember this, having the good old post office savings book. And I remember one day that I wanted to buy my mother a present and I went along and I took almost all of the money out of my post office savings account and I went and bought my mother a piece of china 
And I was so excited about it and I couldn't wait to give it to her. And I was somewhat surprised when she was not as excited as I was. In fact, she was a bit grumpy with me. And that was a pivotal moment for me on my my journey. And I think now as a mum of three, I find it really interesting to watch how my children, who are all teenagers, handle money. And some are spenders and some are savers. And I think when we think about our journey with money, it's quite helpful to know what your attitude is and how you treat money because that way we can be aware of where we might need to lift our game. And I know for me, sometimes I might be a bit more of a spender and so putting disciplines in place around that is really helpful. That makes so much sense. Thanks for that, Sarah. There are all kinds of weird and wonderful things that influence your attitude to money. If you're a creative person, your relationship with money could be coloured by trying not to ever be a sellout. Or maybe take a moment to look back at your parents' relationships with money and think, what did I learn from that? Do I want to emulate that or do I want to move forward from what they taught me? As recently as the 1980s, it was really difficult for a single woman to be granted a mortgage, even with a huge deposit. And only last year, a petition was given to Parliament to change legislation around signatories on setting up kids' KiwiSaver accounts, which will mean that if you want to set your kid up with a KiwiSaver account, you no longer need both parents' signatures, meaning all those women who may be estranged from their partners can now secure their kids' futures. I mention both of these as clear indicators of how recent it is that we've even been allowed in the room to discuss finance and how well we're doing. When you think about it, it's kind of a radical act to talk openly about money. Until recently, it was pretty much taboo for a woman to talk about her earnings or ask for a pay rise. But we're starting to learn that it's a good thing to ask for what we want. So let's normalise talking about money so we can ask for and get what we want. Let's check in to see if Glennis agrees. Absolutely. Empowering women with the knowledge to take control of their finances is really important work for me because it's women who are often left out of the financial conversation altogether. We need to be having these conversations more regularly because leaving the finances up to your husband or your partner can come back to bite you in the case of a breakup or a sudden bereavement. It's human nature to put off anything to do with the future and also to stick our heads in the sand about conversations we don't want to have. We need to fight all those urges to put off those hard conversations. Let's start with the big one, how to maintain some level of financial independence. Many of us know someone who's come out of a relationship distinctly worse off financially than their ex. I know it sounds very doom and gloom to put in safety measures for your relationship, But we've learned over the last two years of this pandemic that the future can be anything but certain. So what can women do to empower themselves and their money in relationships? What do you think, Sarah? I would start answering that by saying that women actually know a lot about money. We did a survey of our customers a number of years ago, and we asked some quite basic questions about KiwiSaver. And really interestingly, women answered more correctly than men. We know that about 80% of the daily consumer purchasing decisions made are by women. And what's really interesting, though, is despite this, I do believe there is generally a bit of a lack of financial confidence or hesitancy with women. I don't think it's financial illiteracy. I think it's a confidence thing. And we can see this in KiwiSaver where women have a tendency to invest more conservatively than men. 
Do you agree, Angela? In 2017, I uh, did a really big survey on women and also dug into their needs and wants. And part of that, obviously, there's over 140,000 more women than men in this country. Which, when you look at that, that's actually a city the size of Tauranga. We're not, what, can I just jump in and say what a great city that would be? What a great city. But, yeah, we're not a niche or we're not a special interest group. My point is that we are the majority and therefore we should have a lot more access to a lot more tools to help us grow our investing future and to grow our financial well-being. So, you know, like in my sort of fantasy world, it's like sexism and racism and capitalism no longer exist, obviously. But in my not so wild fantasy, we have equal access to financial well-being and we're able to feel really supported and empowered in that journey. Because actually we, I was going to say we control a lot of the money that goes around our economic system. And I don't know if control is quite the right word. Well, we influence over 80% of all consumer purchasing. Right. So really, we do actually control (laughs) the economy in lots and lots of ways. So when we, you know, like in a home, in a heterosexual relationship, it's predominantly women who are making the choices about where we're going on holiday, what food we're buying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, fun fact, men only control the spending of small electronic goods. <gasps> oh, they buy the TV. Probably even smaller than that. I oh, maybe they uh, buy the Game Boy. They buy the Game Boy. Mm. Yeah. We're we're sort of conditioned as women to think that we are really good at spending money but not good at saving money. So there's kind of two parts in that. So as women, we actually are really good at spending and often we are spending for our families and for the people around us. We don't actually very often spend for ourselves. And I would say there's quite a lot of pinkwashing that goes on around like, hey, ladies, buy this as self-care. And that's actually like, no, that's just mass consumerism. Whereas we're actually saying that when we are taught and given the tools to think about how we could become better savers, um, that's actually when real financial wellness comes into being. Wow. Okay. So stand in our power. I think it's a really, really important thing because um, in the surveys that I've done and in the research that I've done, a lot of women do not feel financially confident. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we don't know how to do this stuff or we don't, uh, we think we're bad with maths and that kind of thing. But we also know that when we're really exhausted and we are running our families and it's really, really hard to find the headspace to think about our own finances or our financial future. And there was a recent survey done by the Financial Capability Barometer Survey that showed that one in five New Zealanders have relationship problems with partners uh, and family members and friends to do with money. So... It's, it's this kind of like there's this real conflict when there is the idea that long-term financial planning and a propensity to spend rather than save and then this real reluctance to talk about money. So it is like a hotbed of anxiety shame. and shame and um, everyone's feeling like someone else knows more about it than they do and, you know, like no one's having like open and honest conversations. And also that constant economic stress Because, you know, we're also assuming that people have enough money, which we know they don't. So that kind of constant economic stress really has a a very, very negative effect on our prefrontal cortex, which is, it's like having a block of concrete kind of wedged in your head. So it's really hard for you to 
actually think about this stuff and create the space and time that you need to think about it. And you're kind of in that sort of fight or flight mode the whole time. So any sort of prioritisation of a long-term financial planning, I mean, understandably, there's a whole lot of other things going on that you think, I'd rather have like a glass of wine Mm -hmm. than think about taxes. Yeah. But actually, it's quite fun to think about taxes. Yeah. With a glass of wine. Yes. What do you think, Sarah? I think generally men are a bit better at talking about money than women. And I think we need to be brave and talk about it. It's good if you know perhaps what the issues are that women have in terms of money. And I call this thing sometimes the trifecta of misery, that when we look at the retirement savings gap between men and women, there's three main things that contribute. One is pay parity, but generally women earn less than men. The second is career breaks. Women tend to take longer out of the workforce than men to look after children, to look after elderly parents. I think it's something like one in 10 men work part-time, for example, whereas one in three women work part-time. So it's not just career breaks, it's coming back into the workforce part-time. And the third is, comes back to this financial confidence. Women are often a bit less confident and they therefore invest a bit conservatively. And those three things all factor into how well we do financially in retirement. And those are great things to talk to your friends about, to talk to other women about, to talk to your family about, to just increase that awareness. And some of those things are not easy fixes, but some of those things we can all do something about. Can we get some kind of baseline for the minimum we should be doing to future-proof our finances within a relationship? Let's check in with our financial fairy godmother, Glennis. Having access to your own accounts is really important. Don't just assume that because you're in a relationship, everything is sorted. It's always good to look at your finances as an individual, as well as in relation to who you are with and the life you're building together. There is still a lot of women out there in relationships where the man controls the money. Many women feel so empowered and so secure and confident when they finally get themselves financially sorted. So, what do you do? First of all, set up your own KiwiSaver account. It doesn't have to be much to start with. And remember, make sure that you go into the right investment fund for your age and stage. In the case of divorce or breakup, KiwiSaver may become relationship property, but you shouldn't rely on that. Pay yourself first and have your own KiwiSaver account. And while that's ticking along, The next thing to do is to start working towards having your own emergency fund that we've talked about previously and try and achieve at least three months of expenses in it. Make sure it's in your name and only you can access it. It doesn't have to be a secret, but you need to be in control of it. This money can help you leave a relationship or a workplace that's no longer healthy or be there when you have unexpected bills come in. The dentist, car bills, having to travel for family illness, all that kind of stuff. Another important thing is to have your name on all the mortgage and household accounts. If the worst's to happen, you can access them. The same goes for knowing the passwords for your online banking and account side of things. And as always, for all your financial needs, go and find yourself a really good, empathetic financial advisor. Okay, so emergency fund, your own KiwiSaver, 
accounts in your own name and consult a financial advisor. Sarah, what's your must-do for financial independence? Oh, look, I totally agree with Glennis. It's great to get some professional help and speak to a financial advisor. I think what's really important there is you don't actually have to be a multi-millionaire to get some professional advice, and that is probably a great way to get some help and get you on a kind of solid path for the future. I'd also add to that, you know, if you're in a relationship, actually talk to each other. Talk to your partner about your finances. You're both building this future together, so get on and and do that together. When I think about myself and some things I've done, I really do meet that female stereotype. I've had three lots of career breaks. My oldest is just heading off to uni and I've worked part-time ever since I went back to work after he was born. Um, And really sadly, I do earn a bit less than my husband. Um, But a few things I've done to help myself, but also because it helps my whole family, is I've made sure that I'm in a KiwiSaver investment option that's right for my age and stage of life. And I think everybody can do that. Even if you don't speak to a financial advisor, most KiwiSaver providers will have a digital tool that can help you with that. The Sorted website has tools that will help you with that. The second thing I do is I contribute more than the minimum 3%. Now, you might not be able to do that, and I appreciate that a lot of people might not be able to do that. But we can all look and go, can I do a little bit more than I'm doing? And if I'm doing nothing, can I do something? I'd also just say that taking time out of the workforce is something a lot of women do. It's a really normal thing for women to do. And when you do it or before you do it, I think it's really good to just think about, is there any way that I can keep some money going in to my savings or my KiwiSaver or whatever while I'm on leave? Even in KiwiSaver, if it's just enough to keep getting the government contribution And then when you get back to work, say you haven't been able to do that, when you get back to work, can you top it up a bit to just give yourself a boost? The more you can get in there earlier, you get that beautiful thing called compounding interest. And the more you can benefit from that, the better. So I guess my key message though, Michelle, is get talking about it. Talk to a professional, talk to your partner, talk, 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 because that helps you get more confident about what you're doing with your money. Angela, do you agree? I do think it's really important to recognise that different people have different money mindsets. So, for example, this is a really big one for me because my partner and I have completely different, like completely different money mindsets. And it can and has been kind of trying over the years. But, you know, like, for example, I wanted to buy a house and he's more like property ownership is capitalism gone rampant and really, really, really abhorrent? Or if someone's a spender and someone's a saver, um, you know, so you have all of these different mindsets. So I think it's really important to actually make sure that you have a conversation about where your money is going and why as a couple you need to both make those decisions. Yes. Now, I want to briefly touch on a harder topic to discuss, economic harm. This is way more common in New Zealand than most of us want to admit, and it really deserves its whole own deep dive episode. But we'll do our best to inform you here so you know when to spot it and what you can do to back yourself if you find yourself in this situation. Economic harm is behaviour towards a person that controls, restricts or removes their access to money, economic resources 
or participation in financial decisions. Economic harm, often called financial or economic abuse, is recognised as a form of psychological abuse within the Family Violence Act. It's experienced in many close personal relationships, particularly intimate partner relationships. It may also include forms of elder abuse. Good Shepherd New Zealand notes that economic harm can impact all ages, socioeconomic groups, cultures, ethnicities and genders. It may also present differently in some cultures due to traditions and beliefs or the systemic experience of colonisation. Economic harm is experienced in the context of power and control, and it's often intentional, but not always. Like other forms of violence, it can be subtle, beginning with the smallest breach of trust and then build over time. Glenis from Mercer has some advice for women in this situation. You need to have big conversations before big decisions. Don't just go ahead and buy a house or have a baby without talking to your partner first about how the finances will be managed between the two of you. You could be surprised with what your partner's vision for the future looks like, and if it's miles from how you're viewing it, have that discussion now. That way, you can be trying to meet in the middle. Do it sooner rather than later. If it seems hard to have the conversation now, it will be a million times harder once you're in the thick of nappies and mortgages. Do you agree, Angela? Your emergency fund really comes into play here. So if you have access to money, then it gives you the ability to leave. And that's not to say that you set up your relationship thinking, ha ha, no. <laughs> see you later. It's just that, you know, like if the last two years have taught us anything, so many different things could go wrong. And this rainy day might be a COVID day, or it might be that your partner or yourself are unable to work for 10 days, and then where's the cash money coming from? So I really believe that this emergency fund can give you this real financial freedom. You know, there's a rule of thumb that an emergency fund should be at least three months of your expenses. And I understand for a lot of women or for a lot of people, that just feels like I will never get there. I can barely get through a week. So I don't think there's necessarily a cash amount that you have to have in your emergency fund. I just think you need to have a little bit of money tucked away somewhere just for you. Yeah. And you know that emergency fund, having a little plan B up your sleeve, when we take out insurance against our house burning down, it's not like we want our house to burn down or we even think our house is going to burn down. It's just, it's our insurance. If you or someone you know is experiencing economic harm or financial abuse, you can contact Women's Refuge or you can report it to the police. You can also go and talk to a financial advisor in private and get informed about what you should be doing. Like I said, that's a big one and it needs a breath around it, really. Before we wrap things up and remind you of the key takeaways you can start actioning in the next fortnight, let's get some closing thoughts from our panel. Angela. Uh, Remember you're worth it. You know, the gender pay gap, things are stacked against us. It is not easy. It, It can feel really overwhelming getting yourself to a position where you feel like you can even start thinking about getting your financial well-being and your freedom sorted. And it is really one of the most liberating, strangely exciting and very, very sexy things to do. And I encourage everyone instead of, you know, like, why not get your girlfriends round and have a bottle of wine and discuss, you know, shares shares, or discuss debt or, you know, there, there are lots of conversations that you can have 
that are going to educate you, allow you to speak freely about it, get the information that you need. And I think, you know, we really need to put our cards on the table and have these really honest conversations that are ultimately going to be fantastic, not only for ourselves, but for our children as well. I love that. How about you, Sarah? Women tend to be in industries that pay less. And those industries often have the word care associated with them. But what's also really interesting and actually quite alarming is that women are often paid less for the exact same role as a man. Now, it's a societal issue and it's not going to take five minutes to fix. But I think we can all do something. And it's a brave conversation to have with your boss or your employer, but it's one that is worth having. Am I being paid fairly compared to my male colleagues? So I think that would be a tip for people who are working If you can be brave and have that conversation with your employer, that is a great conversation to have. Yes. Do you want to wrap it up for us, Glennis? Pay yourself first. Get access to all your accounts and bills. Get your retirement fund or your KiwiSaver going. Get your emergency fund cracking along. And then you can start growing your wealth. It's so natural to put off anything to do with the future and also to put off uncomfortable conversations. But establishing a better relationship with money can only be positive. And since women have been disadvantaged for so long, I know that I, for one, am going to be taking on board a lot of this advice to close that gap. Matewa. Money Security is brought to you by The Table, where Kiwi women talk money, sponsored by Mercer. What does the word investing conjure up for you? Wall Street fat cats, men with property portfolios, maybe Bitcoin bros. There are a lot of tropes out there that make investing feel completely inaccessible, like something other people do. In episode two, we discussed how to make your KiwiSaver work better for you. But now it's time to take a deeper look at investment and how it can be easily accessible to us all beyond KiwiSaver. In our next episode, we'll take a look at why finance is so boring, demystify all that investing jargon, and get expert advice on how any one of us could become savvy investors and set ourselves up for the future. See you then. This podcast is sponsored by Mercer New Zealand Limited, Mercer. The podcast is a general information service and does not take account of the investment objectives, financial situation and or particular needs of any person. Before making any investment decision, you should take financial advice as to whether your intended action is appropriate in light of your particular investment needs, objectives and financial circumstances and consider the product disclosure statement for any product you're considering. Neither Mercer nor any related parties accepts any responsibility for any inaccuracy. Past performance is no guarantee or indicator of future performance.